This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. The national security rationale is regularly invoked as a reason for all manner of protectionism. Some of that may be justified. Colin Grabo has looked at some of the less defensible protectionist policies executed under the banner of national security. President Trump used national security as a guise, as a cover, as a patina of legitimacy for a lot of the uh, trade restrictions that he unilaterally imposed, delegated to him by Congress or delegated to the president by Congress. How frequent is the invocation of some sort of national security rationale when it comes to trade issues? It seems pretty common, and it also seems like people just accept it. Like it's not, it's not regularly challenged. Yes, I think I think you're correct about that. Uh, we've seen all manner of uh, protectionist actions justified in the name of national security. In fact, it's to the point that uh, a few years ago, I believe, Senator Rubio of Florida uh, justified the U.S. sugar program on national security grounds, claiming that if not for our sugar program, that we wouldn't grow any more sugar, uh, all the sugar fields would be plowed over and and turned into uh, paved over and turned into shopping malls, and we wouldn't be able to feed ourselves. And this is kind of logic uh, that evidently some people subscribe to, um, because I think if you can try to claim that something is for national security, then people take a much more hands-off approach towards uh, trying to, to, to peel back that, repeal that protectionism. All right. So what are some of the specific elements that we've seen recent since the Trump administration that really speak to this sort of incoherence of trade policy uh, while it's got this masquerade, while it's masquerading really as something that is in our essential security interests? Well, I think one of the most notorious examples was the imposition of tariffs on imports of steel and aluminum. And of course, this was uh, ostensibly because of national security, uh, the need to be able to be self-reliant for our, our steel and aluminum supplies. But when the DOD weighed in on this, uh, they said that uh, domestic production, they only needed something like Four percent, I think, of domestic production is in the single digits. Uh, so there was more than enough. Um, so the notion that we wouldn't be able to uh, supply our, our military needs with our existing capacity uh, just was not um, uh, supported by the facts. Uh, Trump, I think, also mused about the possible imposition uh, of tariffs on auto imports, something he decided ultimately not to do. But again, uh, it was rumored that was going to be also justified on national security grounds. So we've seen a lot of abuse, I, th- I think, uh, of national security to justify uh, protectionism. So what are the what are the products that uh, when that fall under this rubric, this by American the provisions, because I know because uh, the the federal government can very easily tell federal agencies, you must buy American for X, Y, Z. It's a little harder to tell the rest of us to do that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, so, American consumers, of course, we get hit per- with protectionism, but the U.S. government itself is subject to a lot of protectionism, including uh, our national security uh, apparatus. You know, the Department of Defense and other uh, related agencies that are supposed to protect us. They also 
pay a toll from U.S. protectionism. Uh, you mentioned the Buy American Act, which uh, requires the purchase, or rather, gives a price preference to U.S.-made products uh, up to fifty percent. Um, additional price preference for those goods purchased by the DOD. And what's interesting here is that while a lot of protectionism, as you noted, is often justified on national security grounds, we have to step back, I think, and ask ourselves, well, what's is this truly beneficial to national security to make uh, the Department of Defense pay more for the things that it needs? Because, of course, we live in a world of finite resources and fixed budget, limited budgets, and every dollar uh, removed to pay for this protectionism or artificially you know, inflated costs, that's a dollar less that can be spent on meeting national security needs. And I think that needs to be considered uh, in, this, in, in this debate over national security and, and protectionism. So uh, athletic shoes. Athletic shoes, yes. Athletic shoes are subject to protectionist law called the Berry Amendment. It's one of, I think, five types of goods covered by the Berry Amendment, along with flatware, uh, textiles, um, hand tools. Well, it used to be that uh, servicemen and women uh, could buy uh, their running shoes through a voucher program by the running shoes they thought were most appropriate for their feet. Uh, uh, then this was eliminated, uh, and it was now subject to uh, by American to the Barry Amendment. It has to be American uh, tennis shoes or running shoes, athletic shoes. And interestingly, there is one company that produces the lion's share of these shoes here in the United States. That is New Balance. So before, uh, our servicemen and women had great flexibility in getting the shoes that they want or need. And now they uh, have a very limited selection. And we are told this is for national security. Uh, of course, if you dig into who voted for this and where the support came from, it should not surprise anybody that uh, it originated with uh, members of Congress who have New Balance factories in their district. So the notion that this is all being done uh, uh, to further our national security, um, it just doesn't withstand scrutiny. Now, I'm sorry, did you say flatware? Yes, so flatware, like spoons, forks, forks, forks exactly. Spoons. Evidently, uh, there is great concern that in time of war, we won't be self-sufficient in production of forks. Uh, I'm not aware of any conflict that's been lost because of a uh, lack of self-sufficiency in that. But yes, it is uh, subject to the Barry Amendment. And so those all those products have to be purchased at inflated cost by the U.S. military. Now, uh, okay, that's it's plainly ridiculous, of course, and for... Um, for most of us, we can just look at the example and understand, well, if if the U.S. really needs forks, the U.S. can make forks. It's not it's not that complicated. Uh, are there you know, what are the edge cases? Because there there could be a, an argument made for a, a certain kinds of products that we should not be importing from other countries for some reason that may relate to national security. Are there clear uh edge cases here? Uh, yes, ab absolutely. Uh, so I'm not making the case here that uh, all forms of protectionism as they pertain to our uh, defense are, are absurd or ridiculous. I just think we need to be uh, a lot more judicious about their application and, and think a lot more carefully about which goods should be applied to this. Um, for example, you know, it doesn't make any sense, I think, to outsource production of aircraft carriers to China. It's probably not a smart move, um, but I just don't put forks and aircraft carriers in the same category. Um, but 
that also doesn't mean that we need to think uh, everything needs to be U.S. versus foreign. Uh, for example, while maybe we don't want to build aircraft carriers in China, maybe it would make sense to build icebreakers in Finland which is an applicant for NATO membership. And Finland uh, is a country that has built something like 60% of all uh, the world's icebreakers. They have great expertise in this. They are our friends. And they say they can probably build it uh, at half or maybe even a third of the cost for what we can do it. Uh, and that's that's something we really need to consider. And, and uh, self-sufficiency, there's a great deal to be said for that. There's also something to be said for getting uh, your, 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 your needs, your defense needs met at a much lower cost. Do you have a sense of how much this costs consumers? Because obviously, if you're only able to buy New Balance sneakers, you're probably going to pay more for those than you would if you're paying a, a global price for that sort of thing and, and flatware, that sort of thing. If you're compelling agencies to engage in this Buy American process, a, a lot of that money that gets spent would have to be wasted. Yes. Uh, so just the Barry Amendment, uh, just by itself, I believe something like $4 billion worth of goods purchased by DOD are subject to the Barry Amendment. So we have to think that you know, that's uh, those are all inflated costs. Uh, how, how inflated, you know, is and we can have a debate about that. I'm sure it varies by product. Um, and then we have the Buy American Act. We have the uh, Burns Tolleson Amendment, which mandates that uh, all ships built for uh, the U.S. military have to be American built. And then we also have uh, shipping protectionism. Uh, we talk at the Cato Institute, uh, and certainly I do, about the Jones Act, which uh, requires U.S. built U.S. flagships to transport goods within the United States. That applies to the military as well. For example, if the military wants to send goods to its bases in Hawaii, that has to go on Jones Act shipping. The shipping is so expensive that actually in the mid-90s, the uh, U.S. Navy said that it was uh, considering moving some of its uh, personnel from Guam to Japan to save on shipping costs. Uh, and then also there's something else called cargo preference. This is a law that uh, requires the DOD to ship uh, goods using U.S. flagships at much higher expense. Uh, so, for example, military members based in Germany, uh, household goods being sent there, that all has to go on U.S. flag shipping at additional costs. I think back in the uh, early 90s or so, it was estimated this costs an extra $350 million per year. And again, this is early 1990 So it's an indirect subsidy to the U.S. fleet. And we need to think uh, hard about whether there are, uh, in fact, I know there are more efficient ways of going about these kinds of subsidies if that's something we want to do. You know, Robert Higgs has pointed out very smartly that uh, one of the elements that is underappreciated about our uh, regulatory policies about our taxation policies and about federal spending is that the when the government buys something, you're removing it from the potential to be used by the private sector. And the government is not very efficient. And so some of that spending is necessarily going to be waste because that same resource is not available to uh, the private sector. So when companies are arranging themselves or orienting themselves toward getting some sort of government contract, um, there are by American provisions that uh, dictate some of their behavior when it comes to trying to secure those contracts. Like, as you mentioned before we started recording, domestic content requirements for products. Exactly. So when we talk about buy America, well, the next logical question is, well, what's American? 
you know, what does a product have to have included to qualify as American? Um, and, and, and these range, but, you know, in, in case of the Berry Amendment, they have to be 100% American. Uh, so to fulfill this contract, that means you need to arrange your supply chain such that uh, you are optimized towards meeting those requirements. And the downside of that is that you are not optimizing your operations to compete uh, on a global marketplace and be the most efficient producer possible. So while you may have won this government contract, if this is how you're going to conduct your manufacturing, uh, it means you're going to be at a disadvantage in in the marketplace. And I think ultimately in the long term, it'll undermine your your long-term prospects for success uh, beyond the resources that are inefficiently allocated uh, there. We also have the resources to go into lobbying and securing these contracts in the first place. I believe that New Balance, uh, for example, spent something like $230,000 in their lobbying campaign uh, to try to win Buy American. You know, that's all money that's not being spent on R&D or uh, other means of making them better and more efficient and better uh, positioned to compete. Colin Grabo is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.